It's time for episode 159 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 19th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where the clocks watch you. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my co-host, Mr. Dan Warren. Hi, Dan. Hi. We're, we're coming to you from Soviet Russia. From this Russia. Week. What's happening? Clock. Yeah, that's right. The Clock week. watch you. Clock watch you. Exactly right. This is Clockwise, where we uh, talk about four technology topics. 30 minutes with two wonderful guests. To my left, host of Tech News Today and iOS Today on the Twit Network. But her first time on Clockwise, it's Megan Maroney. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Now that she was on the other foot, you're on my show now. <laughs> Oh, wow. This is this really complicated revenge plot happening here. To my left, uh, as a senior contributor at Macworld and co-host of the Macworld podcast, Mr. Glenn Fleischman returns to us. Hi, Glenn. It is always a pleasure to come back and watch the clock with you and wear socks with clocks on them. All right. So let's uh, get started. My first topic uh, is also your first topic. That's how it works. Uh, Samsung. I wanted to talk about them. I don't want to beat Samsung into the ground about like the problems that they've had with the Galaxy Note 7 exploding and setting things on fire and being banned everywhere but it is banned on planes now and there are lots of stories about kind of a witch hunt going on where people don't know how to differentiate different samsung phones and so they start to wonder and there there are fines if you uh if you don't follow the orders of the people on the planes and they may demand that you hand in your phone or something like that it's a mess but i wanted us to address it in a little bit of a different way I want to know what would happen if you ran the zoo. If you were in charge at Samsung, what is the next step in the Samsung phone product strategy? And uh, I will say, if you're going to say we're going to change the name, I would like a new name uh, rather than just saying the name will change and leaving it at that. So, Megan, what do you think? What's your uh, you're in charge of Samsung now. How do you how do you bring them back from this? Well, uh, yesterday they said that uh, Samsung is now setting up kiosks in the airport so you can return it, which um, is great. I think they should set up kiosks everywhere, like, you know, hot dog stands or pretzel stands. So, like, wherever you are, you could return your uh, Samsung phone. And um, what what to return it for? Um, I'd say maybe they would give people iPhone 7s or perhaps Pixels because I think uh, those are going to be what people are, many people are going to buy. Um, but the name, I think I would change it to uh, Samsung Ice because, um, you know, it's it's cool. It, it makes people forget that uh, they uh, spontaneously combusted. Um, and also, I would say they should come up with a new phone. They should... Um, they sh- people really loved this phone. I was just j- mostly joking about the Pixel and the iPhone 7. People love the Note. So I think they should try to come up with a new phone uh, that doesn't combust. Um, so I guess shutting it all down and giving the money back to the shareholders is probably not an option, huh? Well, um, I mean, you could you could say that. Do you want to? Is that I, what you no. want to say? <laughs> I mean, only only because I'm being snarky, not for not for real. Um, I think you know, obviously, letting people return the phones and making it really easy for them is a big uh, important part of it. You know, in terms of the customers need to be taken care of. They need to put their customers' needs first, and so making those kiosks available, as Megan was saying, making it easier and pain free for people to return their phones and get something uh, in the meantime or get their money back if they want it is the way to go. Uh, otherwise, I think that's potentially way more damaging even than the number of phones that have caught fire is the uh, the response to this, right? They're, they they stand to get in much more trouble if they hem and haw and make it difficult for people. Um, I do think they do have to rebrand. Um, I, I think there's a few options here. You could either go with sort of the... Uh, the uh, antithesis idea, I'm rooting for like the Samsung. This one's really not going to explode, honest. It's a little bit long. 
but I feel like it's a possibility. Uh, or or you go 180 and you just totally embrace it. The Samsung Fireball, I think that's a possibility. You got like a uh, cross promotion thing there with a that with a whiskey. Um, too bad Fire is already taken by Amazon. Darn, missed the boat on that <laughs> they one. They can let that go cheap though. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I kind of like the Samsung Fusion. Uh, it's kind of tips your hat to it, but it also sounds kind of futuristic and cool. I don't know. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's too much of a problem. I don't know. It's hard to. Um, you know, obviously they spend a lot of time and money uh, pumped into finding good names for these things, uh, and so I feel like they they're probably already strategizing over there what they're going to call the mm. new rebranded ones. If it were me, uh, I kind of like Samsung Fusion, but that's that's probably just me. Well, I think it's important to remember that it's not just phones that are bursting into flame, that they have the washing machines that explode and could potentially mm-hmm. harm people. This is a brand. Brian X. Chen at uh, the New York Times had an oven he bought that was a Samsung oven melt last year, and it took like destroyed cabinetry and took months. He finally had to say, look, I'm with the press to get them to even respond after a while. Uh, so I think Samsung has this issue, which is there's a lot of national pride around the brand. It's an incredible brand in South Korea. It's one of the drivers of the economy. But worldwide, do we all want things that are labeled Samsung. Maybe that's going to creep people out. So maybe they should, uh, you know, the TV set so far have not melted down in our homes and, and um, you know, or Samsung uh, other devices uh, haven't fallen out of the sky or something, but maybe they need to not split in divisions, but name things differently. Like, like wash away some of the taint as they solve the problems, maybe do some more transparency, show live videos from testing labs and cut them off before the fire emerges. Um, but I have a name that I suggest for the new phone line. I think they should just have a separate phone division they call Phoenix of course. Oh, very nice. Also also some fire theme. By the way, the FAA really does encourage you not to bring your top-loading Samsung washing machine on the plane. <laughs> Don't do that either. You, you have to leave the hoses unconnected if you bring it on board. I'm going to suggest that they just lean into their other properties. The Samsung Galaxy S, you know, they've, they've, they have that. I would just make a Samsung Galaxy S in a larger size and just call it the Samsung Galaxy S or the Galaxy S XL or something like that where it's just just fold the larger phone into the brand of the smaller phone and whistle while you pass the graveyard. I think that would be my solution there. Thank you all for your uh, very important advice for Samsung. I'm sure they're listening and writing down <laughs> things down right now. Let's uh, move on to topic number two, which comes from Megan. What do you have for us? I wanted to discuss lab-grown meat, uh, which is sounds kind of gross, but not, <laughs> eh, not necessarily grosser than um, you know slaughtering a cow. Uh, last week, I got a chance to to try the Impossible Burger. That's from a company called Impossible Foods. It was started by a Stanford biochemist. Uh, and, you know, he just kind of looked at how many cows we were eating, the rate at which, um, you know, we were eating meat and chickens uh, and other meats and said, you know, this is not sustainable. And uh, so he started this company, Impossible Foods, about four mu- four years ago. And they they just, I think it was four years ago. It was a while ago. They've been planning it for a while and they just launched their burger. And the way that they're uh, launching it is an interesting uh, distribution method. They've set it up in four different restaurants with uh, chefs who are pretty famous. Uh, Tracy Desjardins from Jardinaire, uh, De- Tracy Desjardins from Jardinaire, mm-hmm. and uh, Coxcomb and a couple other restaurants. And I got to taste it and it really does taste like meat. I should say I'm a pescatarian. Um, I hadn't 
hadn't eaten a red meat burger in a decade, and it really tasted like meat. And I guess I was just wanting to discuss what you guys think. I mean, part of the thing is that it bleeds, like it bleeds plant blood, and it feels like muscle in your mouth. There was a lot of discussion of mouthfeel. So, so what do you guys think about this? Um, and the tech the tech angle is that it's got a lot of Google Ventures has invested in them, and Bill Gates, and a lot of tech people are really into it. So, what do you think? Well, I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> actually, as someone who, uh, as those who know me uh, know, I, I actually don't like hamburgers. So I feel like this is not a product designed for me, although it might be more appealing. And part of that is just I, I'm not a big ground beef fan. Um, but, you know, as it speaks to the wider idea of um, reducing usage of meat in general, I, I can't I can't fault the, the intent. I, I think, you know, obviously both for reasons of the environment and reasons of health it seems to make a lot of sense to try and figure out um other ways around uh sort of you know our traditional food chain um i you know when it comes to other other types of meat products though i guess i, I wonder you know about the uh the possibilities like because i feel like there are so many obviously different types of of meat and cuisine um that are used in different ways and have different textures and different tastes and different and and you know our, our human ingenuity is is seemingly boundless at times and i'm sure they could come up with a way to uh to duplicate those uh given enough time um but in general uh yeah i don't know it's it sort of creeps me out when you're describing the plant blood thing oh man i don't know no, that's just weird. I have a hard time even wrapping my head around it. It seems like it probably wouldn't be as big a deal, but something about it just like pings a part of my brain that feels like, oh man, that sounds really gross. <laughs> um, but you know, as you as you say, you know, is that because we've normalized this sort of uh, hamburger eating as it is? Um, so yeah, I'm in favor of the experimentation. I I would I would try one. Um, you know, just in the purpose of uh, of curiosity. But uh, yeah, I feel like maybe it would actually just force me into becoming more of a vegetarian. <laughs> well, I was a vegetarian for about uh, twenty years and sort of gradually converted to uh, pescatarianism too. And then ten years ago, I did a metabolic cleanse with my wife while my our uh, now nine year old was in utero and she was having some issues early or before pregnancy. So. Uh, uh, we did a metabolic cleanse together and suddenly I started craving meat, meat. I had to have meat. It was the most ridiculous thing. But 10 years ago, I could get, uh, uh, you know, meat that was prepared in a way that I thought was more ethical, that was better for the animals, better for the environment, less impact. And so while I eat meat today, I'm always looking for the sourcing of it, which makes me feel smug and happy in my liberal progressive city of Seattle. So I've accomplished that much. At least I feel smug. But this could make me feel even more smug. It's great. Um, no, I'm sorry. But it's I, I actually think we need an end to a lot of meat. Beef is incredibly wasteful. I was looking up the numbers, and because I remember from years ago, and I just checked, and it takes about 20 pounds of feed to produce including eight pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef. Uh, the efficiency of plant material to the meat output is like 4%. Ca cattle is not a good way to get protein to people. It's unsustainable. And so at some point in the future, you know, beef could cost 500 or $1,000 a pound if all the environmental costs we added up. So people probably want something like meat and finding alternatives like this or the, um, the artificial meat that's, that's, um, you know, lab grown cultured meat also, uh, for vegans will have a huge challenge, right? If you have meat that's grown in culture that never touched an animal, is that vegan or not, even though it's meat? I know there's some ethical issues being raised about that, but I hope we have the opportunity to explore, um, something that tastes good 
and that is much less weighty on the planet that produces less methane. And, you know, a little plant blood never did you any harm, Dan. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's getting queasy over there. You know, vat-grown meat is a staple in science fiction, uh, depicting a future where uh, the meat uh, that people eat is not coming from slaughtered animals. And it does feel a little bit like that's an inevitability, that the, the cost in terms of what environmentally has to go into producing um, a meat versus vegetables and things like that is so enormous and with the population of the planet so large, it seems like something's going to have to give there. So technology making this uh, lots of other ways of people having palatable food that is uh, not necessarily as bad for the environment, I think is uh, I think that's the story. I mean, there are also those stories out there about how like it's going to be like insect protein (laughs) that is is driving so much of the 21st century. Anyway, what I'm saying is I think it's a great idea I think it, I think uh, when I think about like what are the things when I'm a, a grumpy old person, what's the thing that I'm going to shake my fist at and be like, you young people don't understand it wasn't like this in my day. And sometimes I wonder if it's actually meat eating is going to be one of those things where uh, new generations of people are going to just sort of drop away from it and, and uh, you're going to be kind of gasped at, Grandpa, I can't believe that you're eating a hamburger made from a real cow. So I think it's inevitable. And I think it's great that technology people are trying to do uh, invest in ways of uh, giving people food that they like that uh, because some of us don't really love vegetable type things and wouldn't be a vegetarian and so this is great to have a meat uh, fake meat alternative that tastes like real meat i'm i'm all for it all right we're halfway through this one we have two more topics left to go Uh, before we go to the second half let me tell you about our sponsor this episode of clockwise brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance, SSD-based Linux servers. They've got eight different data centers around the world, and it's a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. It's my server infrastructure, too. You can get a server up and running in less than a minute. Plans start at just $10 a month for your own dedicated server. You get two gigabytes of RAM. You've got your server running on the internet all the time. You can choose your resources, Linux distro, node location, all from their super easy-to-use manager tool, and it's easy to deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks from that tool once you're up and running. Linode servers have industry-leading native SSD storage, powerful Intel E5 processors that are the fastest you can get in the cloud market, and they have access to Linode's amazing 40 gigabit network with multiple levels of redundancy. There's even an API that lets you easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. And all of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing, so there are no ugly surprises. There's a monthly cap on all plans and all add-on services like backups and node balancers. So as a listener to the show, you should sign up. Go to linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll support us and you'll get $20 toward any Linode plan. Plus, there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to use. Linode.com slash clockwise or use the promo code clockwise20 at checkout to get that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for supporting Clockwise. All right, now halftime is over. So, Dan, what's your topic? Well, we all saw probably the report in Bloomberg earlier this week talking about the uh, change in direction for Apple's project Titan, the much-rumored car project. Uh, setting aside the idea of, you know, Apple obviously makes plans, does its, a lot of its uh, planning in secret, does its R&D, decides, you know, not to pursue certain things, etc. I'm kind of curious to know what you all think about this idea that Apple is going to, uh, you know, sort of aim at making software and possibly partnering with a car company does this make sense to you? Uh, you know, is this something that, you know, you think makes a big difference in the auto industry? 
What are your general thoughts on sort of the uh, the direction they seem to be going in now, Glenn? Well, I always thought it was improbable that Apple would want to make a car because it's a messy, awful business making cars. And not like the phone industry is wonderful, but there's a difference between making a phone and being a cellular carrier. Cellular carriers making sausage, uh, you know, making a phone is more like running a restaurant, right? It's a, you know, you don't have to go and butcher the cow. This is a cow episode, I guess, and, and <laughs> scoop out the guts. Uh, and I feel like the car industry, it's like making software for a car. It's a very different matter than having to make a car, deal with the dealership situation we have in America that limits direct sales that Tesla is dealing with, uh, deal with uh, all the returns, dealing with those damn customers who want things like the car to drive right all the time and don't want it to, to want the system software to crash and then them have an actual uh, real world crash. I have this thought though, which is that maybe Apple is pulling back to an interesting point is they're always testing stuff. They put money in to see like, is it feasible for us to do this? They decided, no, it's not, which is a good realization but they they have billions to spare they can mess around but what if the thing is, if AI is the future competitive angle for any technology company, and we see that Samsung bought Viv, Apple has its own house, Google, and so forth, Facebook, all these big companies, what if what Apple is going to bring to car makers is they're going to be the AI? So they're not going to be the AI for the car driving part. Maybe they'll help with that, but the car makers will all have their own systems. But Apple will be the communication with the rest of the world, a heads-up display or an on-windshield display or the in uh car communications, uh, system navigation and all that, maybe that's going to be the split. And the car makers focus on what they do best, cars and self-driving and all that. And Apple focuses on the entire rest of things that car makers are not good at. So that would make sense to me. But I don't think Apple is going to be a platform for automakers because automakers want the same kind of obsessive control that Apple has over its own hardware. Yeah, it seems unlikely that Apple is going to be an OEM like those companies that make the car stereos. <laughs> like, it's not, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But I do think it shows some maturity in Apple saying, look, okay, we investigated building our whole own car. And it's like, it's too much. It's It may not be something we want to do, but we do want to focus on the stuff that we're good at. The technology stuff, the the uh, the software and hardware and sensors all working together. And that's stuff we know. We don't maybe know about drivetrains and electric motors, but, but we know about this stuff. So we're going to focus on this stuff. It doesn't preclude them from deciding that the right way forward is for them to build an Apple-branded car. But I feel like if, if they're not going to be an OEM and they're not going to build an Apple-branded car, the most likely scenario is that they will either purchase or, I think even more likely, partner with uh, with a car maker. They'll, they'll form a strategic partnership. It'll probably include an investment. And the idea there is they will bring their technology to a car maker and either they that technology will power all of the cars from that car maker and that'll be a partnership that is super tight. Or perhaps it's a little bit different different and it's sort of the car maker will be making a line of cars that are the Apple branded cars that have this technology in them but I think it gets it, let, it lets Apple build what they're good at and then partner with a car maker who wants to take advantage of the uh, sort of shininess of the Apple brand uh, in order to get that access to that technology and let them be the ones to build the cars and have the factories and Apple doesn't have to get into the, that business I, I, I think that's the most likely scenario and not like Apple offers license licensing of Apple Car Foundation to whoever wants to show up and, and do it. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me because Apple, at its heart, is a company that sells products, not licenses technologies. That's not Apple at all. The problem with partnership is I feel like it's late. They're getting late in the game. It's sort of like the end of the night at a bar and like everyone's partnered up. And who is Apple going to go with? Like, who are they left with? I mean, that that's what I, I think. But at 
at the same time, they're Apple. And who wouldn't want, I mean, people have been buying iPhones because they're iPhones, not because they're better phones than other phones. So you would hope that the same thing would be if like the inside of your car was like an iPhone. And that's really what I want. I really just want my phone to, my car to be an iPhone. Um, And companies, like, how could they ever have been better than like BMW at that or something? You know, like they're they're not going to be able to build a whole Apple car. Like you all said, I totally agree with that. But I do want something better than CarPlay. I mean, CarPlay is, I was buying a car this year and I was like, oh, I only want a car with CarPlay. But then when I looked at CarPlay and what it could actually do, it was not, it was definitely not worth buying a Honda Civic just for the CarPlay. Um, So I definitely think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of room for them to grow there. Um, And I think that there's also going to be a big space of I mean, I agree they're not going to be like the aftermarket company, but as we transition to autonomous cars, there's going to be a long time where people have cars and they need to add on to them some autonomous features. And I know there's some companies already doing that. So I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily think that's the way that Apple will go since, I mean, they are a little behind, I think, in AI. Or maybe they're not behind because they're so secretive. We don't really know. And that's what I think is most interesting about this whole car project. This is all based on rumors. And yes, they're, like they're very um, legitimate sources that all these people have, but we've built up this whole story of Project Titan, and it's going to be something amazing. And now they're, you know, it's failing. All the while, Apple has barely said anything about it at all, except for you know a couple years ago when Tim Cook said that you know the car is the ultimate mobile device. It might not have even been Tim Cook that said that, but someone from Apple said that, and then we just ran with it. So uh, it's just one of those times where they're so secretive that we are creating the whole story and having fun with it too. Yeah, I, I agree with what most of you guys said. I think I see this more as a CarPlay Plus sort of idea from Apple in terms of um, you know them seeing these are the limitations of what we can do with CarPlay, right? Yeah, we can work with a bunch of different partners because we have made it very sort of portable, but we're really limited in terms of our integration because we don't have access to the nuts and bolts. Um, so making a, a deal with a car company certainly makes a lot of sense. It's still a little weird from an Apple product angle, um, if only because they're not really... It's unclear how much of this is an Apple product as a to an Apple and BMW product or whatever. Um, And so I I think that's going to be an interesting challenge because it's very much unlike anything that we've seen, at least as a successful product uh, from Apple before. But thanks for your thoughts on that. Uh, I believe we have one topic left from Mr. Fleischman. Well, uh, let me start by telling you all of my passwords so that you can go and check. (laughs) See, uh, 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 Anil Dash was uh, tweeting something yesterday about these leaked Podesta emails that John Podesta is uh, involved with the uh, Hillary Clinton uh, campaign. And uh, I was like, you know, he said, if you could see my emails would just show how boring everything is and how embarrassed I am about not replying in time. I was thinking, I always say good things about people. Leak my emails, please. You can see how kind I am in private, right? Of course. But so what did this teach us? John Podesta's password was apparently... Uh, secret spoiler runner four five six seven and apparently everywhere. So when WikiLeaks uh, uh, dumped some archives of uh, I know it's it's a terrible secret I shouldn't give it out except it's on every site on the internet. Uh, so when WikiLeaks uh, acquired somehow some contents of the uh, of John Podesta's email um, and had been leaking it in um, or publishing it in. Uh, tranches, uh, people were like, hey, there's his password. Let's try and break his into his Twitter account and so forth. So he didn't have a second factor. Nobody suggested good passwords. 
the the DNC apparently even after earlier hacks, um, maybe they've uh, fixed some things now and these go back a ways. Uh, but it feels like there are some basic things you could do to improve security that average people could take advantage of. So I'm curious if you have uh, something you do for yourself or something you recommend to other people that would be straightforward. Maybe it's software, maybe it's an approach uh, and help them avoid the embarrassment of runner four, five, six, seven. Basic hygiene by a password manager, uh, randomly generate your passwords instead of having them be, I, I can't tell you how many people have one, two, three, four, or four, five, six, seven or in their passwords. It's come on. You, you do, do a little bit of randomness either. Uh, I use one password for it and then have different passwords on different sites. I think that's the killer is the, and this is what got Podesta is he used the same password everywhere. And once one comp- password is compromised, all your passwords are compromised. And that doesn't happen if you have a different password on every site. So, you know, I know passwords are a pain. I I know people don't like to have them. If you've got some sort of method to do it, I've I've been really getting into uh, chains of words or even not words, but uh, things that are close to being words and they're they're put together, connected by symbols and it works great. It's like very high security and and somehow my brain can remember those chains of words. And so I use that now on a lot of sites too. And uh, so, yeah, just don't use the same password everywhere, people. It's pretty simple. Uh, I definitely agree with everything uh, you said, Jason. Also, um, yeah, two-factor for sure everywhere that uh, you yeah. can use it. Absolutely. Um, I use LastPass. Um, and even that is not um, foolproof. It's sometimes tricky. And so I do have some passwords that I generate myself. Um, and I usually don't give them out on podcasts. That's one thing that Good. I would recommend. That's <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and then just having like setting up a reminder to yourself, like maybe every three or four months, just to clean them up. Like use all whatever password manager you use has tools in there, like security checks. LastPass is a security check. It can show you all the places that you've used the same wor- uh, password, and you can clean that up. So just like set up a reminder, like it's you know I'm gonna set, spend 45 minutes just cleaning up my password. Maybe it won't take that long. Um, maybe it'll take longer depending on how long you've done it. Um, and change your passwords pretty regularly. I mean, they say that's not the best advice because, I mean, scientifically, if you change your passwords too often, then you're more likely to forget them. But, um, you know, do change them if you've used, definitely change them if you've used the same one uh, over and over again. And for sure, if you have to, if you absolutely have to use the same password, make sure that you're not using the same password for your Apple ID. I mean, that's what he did. Just make sure that one is uh, is different than any other one. And of course, like, you know, the Democrats don't um, own the uh, bad security uh award on this. Today, Motherboard said the Trump campaign is using unpatched and end-of-life software um, (laughs) on their mail servers. So uh, everybody, uh, no matter what political leanings you have, could uh, do better on security. There are a lot of good tips. I like using phrases or song lyrics and using the first letters of those mixed with some numbers and symbols. They tend to be fairly easy to remember mnemonically. Um, I think, you know, there's some interesting, I have some like unorthodox suggestions, which in the past may not have been good suggestions, but honestly, um, I have trouble getting some people into password managers because if you're not terribly tech savvy, it's kind of complicated. Um, Keychain does a pretty good job on, on your Mac and your iOS device, but it doesn't, it's not available everywhere. Uh, one password likewise, I think is a really solid product, but it can be intimidating. Um, I know people who actually do keep like ledgers of passwords and yes, like a pen and paper list has the possibility to get stolen whatever but honestly your your password's probably way less likely to get stolen physically than it is to get leaked somewhere else so if you have to write it down and put it somewhere and you're talking about like your home password you're probably actually not that bad off um yeah i also think making insanely complicated passwords that you don't need to remember 
is also not a bad idea because most places let you like just email yourself if you forgot your password, right? Okay. So you could do worse than just like banging on the keyboard and then anytime you need to reset the password, you just reset your password. Um, it's not the best idea, but in some ways it might be more secure than a lot of the other uh, approaches people take. So, because um, I, I, I have two-factor on in a bunch of places, but that's also pretty complicated. I know a lot of people who don't like the hassle of having to get an app or a text message every time and enter those, you know, those codes. So um, I think those are good approaches if you feel comfortable with them, but there are other low-tech approaches that might work just as well depending on your situation. I'll point out the National Institute of Standards and Technologies has a draft circulating, a final draft on password principles basically for the and a bunch of authentication for the next generation. And when you read it, it's hilarious because everything in the report is the opposite of the advice you get when you go to sites that say use upper and lower case, use mm-hmm, letters, numbers, mm-hmm. and punctuation. The entire report is a rejection of yeah. everything that people are trained to do because it's wrong. So all of your advice was fantastic. Thanks, Glenn. Some points for us. <laughs> Yay! Uh, and we have time just for our bonus topic. Uh, here's the bonus topic because it, we were talking. We've been talking about cows a lot and meat and things like that. What's your favorite vegetable? What's your favorite vegetable, Megan? Romaine lettuce. Wow, romaine lettuce. Interesting, Dan. Wow. Um, I would say uh, sugar snap peas when uh, fried up with a little bit of oyster sauce. Glenn Brussels sprouts because when you're a kid Ooh. it's the worst thing in the world and my mother was a good cook but Brussels sprouts didn't taste that good but when you're an adult you can roast them and put on butter and sea salt and then bacon <laughs> veggie bacon or regular bacon and oh and even by themselves the most delicious thing in the world okay. when bacon is not a vegetable but uh, yes, Brussels sprouts is Ve- and, veggie bacon and I was going to say nothing because I really don't love vegetables but the salad <laughs> salad uh, ingredients inspired me because you know a good uh, cut up uh, bell pepper in a salad that's like the best part that's what I love so I'm going to say bell pepper. That's mine. And that's it. We've solved a lot of problems here in the vegetable uh, and food community this week. Uh, Time left just to thank our guest, Megan Maroney. uh, You've had me uh, on uh, Tech News Today and iOS Today. I uh, thank you for coming on Clockwise for the first time. Yeah, uh, this was fun. I loved it. And Glenn Fleischman, thank you for not talking for 50 minutes. We really appreciate having you back on. I was terse. (laughs) <laughs> yes, well said. We're, we're billing Glenn by the word. All right, Dan, uh, we'll be back next week for another edition of Clockwise. I guess maybe there'll be Apple stuff to talk about. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe. Rumors. Maybe. Rumors have. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Let the clock watch you. What? What? What?